Good morning. Turn to someone beside you, just tell them it's good to see you today. It's good to see you today. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. We are so excited to welcome you today. If this is your first time here, it is my privilege to welcome you. We're going to read four verses of Scripture, then we'll take our seat. Romans 8, uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. It's in the YouVersion app out of the New Living Translation. So there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. How many know that we belong to Him? And because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the body sinners, we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. That's good. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Amen. Please be seated for just a few moments. I'm excited to share with you the the word that God has placed in my heart on this Independence Day as our country, as our nation celebrates um, our freedom. I'm grateful for the privilege to celebrate our freedom in Christ. I'm grateful for the privilege that we have to come into the house of God and to be able to praise Him and glorify Him without having to worry about being threatened by a government that is trying to look, that is trying to prohibit us from from worshiping Jesus. There are countries that they have underground services and they have to move from house to house uh, and it's a moving target because uh, it is prohibited for them to come into a place and acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. But I am grateful for the privilege that we have today as believers to say I'm grateful that there is nobody that is threatening us this morning but we can come into this house freely and you can praise him the way you want to praise him and you can glorify him the way you want to glorify him I'm grateful for that it's incredible to think of what God has done for us it truly is it's called grace it's called grace The world mutilated Jesus. The world mutilated him. His body was disfigured from the beatings and from the torture of the Roman soldiers that were there. He endured it on the cross for you and for me. And while the world was busy expressing its hatred of him, of him, at that same time as he was being beaten, as he was being mocked, At that same time, his arms were open wide with the offer of forgiveness and reconciliation. Even on that cross, when the sinner said, remember me, he said, today you shall be with me in paradise. As his body was beaten, as his body was bruised, he offered redemption and forgiveness in that very moment. And it's awesome to think that before you and I wherever a thought before you and I were even thought of he was already walking towards us 
he was already walking towards us in an effort to embrace us and to offer us the forgiveness that only comes from him. The Bible puts it in this manner in Colossians 1, 21 and 22. Once you were alienated from God, once you were separated from him, you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled. He has brought you together by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free and free from accusation. Amen. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is grace. This is grace. It's incredible to be able to think of it, to, to be able to contemplate on it, because forgiveness and love are given to us through Jesus, by Jesus, even though we don't deserve it. In fact, today, we still do not deserve it, nor will we ever reach that point of deserving it. But grace means that God put, that means that God has forgotten your sins. He has forgotten your trespasses. He has forgotten your mistakes. So I should too. Grace means that forgiveness and reconciliation, the coming together with God have come. And it's not based off of what you and I have done, but it's based off of what he has done. Grace is, somebody put it this way, God's reward at Christ's expense. Grace is God's reward at Christ's expense. Our key text says, therefore, whereas, so there is no condemnation, no condemnation. The dictionary defines condemnation as a sentence to someone which is likely death. Um, it's a particular punishment. In the courtroom setting, when there is no condemnation, it means that you have been found innocent of an accusation, and there is not a guilty verdict. I'm glad that there's not a guilty verdict over my life. I'm glad that there is not a guilty verdict over our life. John 3:18 says it this way, that he who believes in him is not condemned. So there is no condemnation to those who belong in Christ Jesus. Belong. Belong. Isn't it awesome to know that we belong to him? Isn't it awesome to know that we may not belong to everything in this world that we would like to belong to, but we belong, but greater than any of that, greater than that, we belong to Jesus. The Bible says, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name. You are mine. The Bible says, acknowledge the Lord, that the Lord is God and that he made us and that we didn't make ourselves, that we are his. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. The fact that I belong to him makes all the difference. The fact that you belong to him makes all the difference. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. I have been set free. You have been set free by the life-giving spirit. It is for the freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. 
what the law of Moses could not accomplish, what the law of Moses sought to do and tried to do, Christ accomplished in one moment. And because of it, I am no longer bound to sin. And because of it, you are no longer bound to sin. I am no longer captive to my past, to poor choices, to poor decisions, and to poor habits. I am no longer a slave to shame. I am no longer a, sh a slave to guilt, but I have exchanged the cloak of heaviness, the burden that was on my life for a garment of praise. I am not who I used to be, no. I am no longer a slave to sin. I am a child of God. I am a child of God, no. And I love what it says. It's not that I, it's not I used to be. It's not I want to be. It's not that I hope to be. No, it's not that I will be. No, it is I am in this present time, in the present tense, right now, in this moment. I am a child of God because of who he is. I am. Because of who he is, I am. Am I perfect? Absolutely not. But am I redeemed? Yes, I'm redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus. Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then he said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. I am so grateful to know him. I'm so grateful to know him. The first point that I'd like to speak on today is that grace is defining. Grace is defining. It is the defining element of faith. And I, I heard a story, I came across a story of C.S. Lewis. Um, several years ago, there was a symposium that was held in Britain where world religious leaders came together to discuss and to begin to debate on, on the different perspectives of theology and doctrine. And they reached a, a point, a pivotal point, where they began to see what is what is it that makes a, the Christian faith unique? Was there anything that there is taught in Christianity that is not taught by other religions in the world? They discussed doctrines like incarnation. They discussed doctrines like resurrection. But other religions spoke of God's appearing in human form and accounts of people returning after death. And, and though they usually speak of that in terms of reincarnation, C.S. Lewis walks into the room and it's a heated debate because they're trying to figure out what is taking place. And he walks in and he asks what the arguing was all about. And they let him know, we're trying to figure out, is there one particular thing that sets apart Christianity from every other religion in the world? And and he replied, oh, that's easy. It's grace. Oh, that's easy. It's grace. They, they looked at him uh, kind of perplexed, trying to figure out, trying to make sense of, of what he was talking about. But then they finally had to agree on this point that the idea that God's love comes to us freely without any strings attached. Think of it. Without considering your background, without considering your race, without considering your socioeconomic status, without considering your last name, without considering your profession, without considering any of that, no strings attached and asks nothing in return. It seemed to go against what was taught in all these other man-made religions in the world where they talked about the eightfold path that was a religious walk based solely on the individual's performance and what he or she 
she could do. The doctrine of karma that with its eight successive phases determine a person's destiny based off of what the person could do or the code of law that must be followed, that must be followed precisely in order to enter into paradise. All of these ways are ways in which a person, a human just like you and I, must work to earn approval, but Christianity alone stands in a category all by itself, and it makes mention, and it boasts about the love of God and His acceptance that is something completely different that is offered to anyone, that for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that anyone that would believe in Him, regardless of who you are, regardless of where you've been, that anyone that believed in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Christianity stands by itself that it would offer this to undeserving human beings like me, like you, without any cost to us, without any condition. It makes it clear that it cannot be earned, but it is a free gift. It is grace. And God raised up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show you the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from ourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not by works. No, it is by his sacrifice so that no one can boast. So we couldn't stand here and say, it's because I come to church every day and it's because I pray. No, no, no. It's because of who Jesus is. Every single one of us in this place has access to this free gift that comes solely from Jesus. From Jesus. From Jesus. From Jesus. Some Wednesdays ago, I spoke to you about the power of the chair. I spoke to you about the power of the chair that what Paul describes in Ephesians is that we are seated. He says in Ephesians 2 that we are seated in heavenly places with him. There is something about being tired. There is something about being exhausted in our spirit, in our mind, when in the world that we live in today. None of us could argue that it is completely different than what it was just five, ten years ago. It is completely different. It is exhausting sometimes. And more than that, the things that we deal with on the inside, the things that we deal with personally, the sin, the habits, and the addiction, it can become overwhelming to us. And some of us in this place are are tired spiritually, are tired spiritually, are tired emotionally, are tired mentally, are tired physically, whatever your case may be, I'm glad that Paul tells us that we are seated in heavenly places. When I'm tired, I can sit down. When I'm exhausted, I can take a load off. 
and rest in the finished work of our Savior, our risen King. When I'm exhausted, I don't have to worry about shame. No, no, I don't have to worry about guilt. I don't have to worry about pain. I don't have to worry about my past. I don't have to worry about that. No, because he paid the price for me. He paid the price for you, that you could be seated, that you could just rest in his promises, that you could rest in his goodness, that you could rest in his blessing, that you could rest in his power, that you could rest in his healing, that you could rest, that you could say, God, it's not about what I can do. It's my job to praise you. It's my job to glorify you. It's my job to recognize who you are, and you will take care of everything else. I can see it. Sit down. I can sit down on your promises. I can sit down and know that you have paid the price. All other religions with their gods do count people's sin against them. And because of that, reconciliation is difficult for us to understand, if not impossible. It's an impossible climb for some people. Some of us in this place grew up thinking that we had to do certain things and look a certain way to be able to earn our way to heaven. But no, there's nothing that we can do that can either add or take away from the work that Jesus has done. He is perfect, and his work is perfect. And it's my job to trust him. It's my job to believe in him. It's my job to rest in him. In him. Even in the Old Testament, we read Exodus 34, and the Lord passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious, gracious God. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in love. He in his faithfulness, maintaining his love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. God wants to be reunited with you today. God wants to be reunited with us more than we have ever been. At the, and the cost of this reconciliation is free. It's paid for by the offended party. This is the central and defining element of what is Christian faith, that God's love, his forgiveness cannot be earned, but it comes as a free gift. It comes as a free gift. The second point, which is important for us to understand, is that grace is liberating. So grace is defining, but grace is also liberating. Do you feel overwhelmed today? Grace means you no longer have to strive for perfection. Having a relationship with God does not depend on how well you do, how perfect you are. It's based solely on the mercy and grace of God. That's good news. It is good news for us that are failures. It's good news for us that make mistakes that often we kick ourselves for after we make them and say, why did I do that? Why did I go there? Why did I say that? It's good news for us as failures that we do not have to earn it, but we just have to trust him, repent of our ways, and trust him. We read in the book of Titus, and it says this, but when the kindness and love of our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. 
because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal birth of the Holy Spirit, of his spirit. Here is the unique message of Christian faith as it says in 2 Corinthians that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, not counting what has what we had done against us. God was taking a step towards us. God was looking to embrace us and to wrap us in his arms of love. And though we have experienced love in different manners, and that gives us a frame of reference and some context, it's hard for us at times to understand his love that Paul says, to, to know his love that surpasses all understanding. He's telling you, I want you to understand this, but yet it's difficult to do. It's difficult to do. God was reconciling the world to himself. Think about it for a moment. Think about who could love you like that. Who could love you without any conditions. Who could love you and take you back today if you've left him and if you've forsaken him and if you've turned your back towards him? Who do you know, regardless, time after time after time, he'll say, I'll take you back. I'll take you back. If you, if you come back home like the prodigal son and if you change your ways, I, I will. I will. This frees us from guilt. And it frees us from legalistic perfectionism that we understand that we can never be perfect and that our relationship with God is solely based on what he has done. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. He made us alive even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. Phil Yancey, a famous author, writes it like this. He says, grace means there is nothing that you can do to make God love you more. And grace means that there is nothing that you can do to make God love you less. Nothing you could do could make him love you more, and nothing you could do could make him love you less. The guilt and condemnation and shame is gone, and it's a settled peace that comes upon us, and it's liberating in reality to know, God, I don't have to try. I don't have to do it all right. I, it's okay. You understand who I am, and you understand what I am made of, and I'm going to trust in your work. I'm going to trust in what you can do and not what I can do. And the final point, which is important for us to understand, is this. Is that grace is inspiring. Grace is defining. Grace is liberating. But grace is inspiring. What does that mean? Grace should inspire us to no longer live in sin. It should inspire us to no longer live in sin. Guilt is a poor motivator. It's a poor motivator. Some people are afraid to talk too much about grace out of fear that people will no longer think obedience is important. Obedience is important. The truth is that you cannot motivate people through guilt. You cannot. Because if you do, it won't last very long. 
Guilt is not the approach. The truth is that we can force our children to obey our rules in our house, in your house. You can force them to obey, but once they are away, and once you turn your back, it's something different. You're no longer there to enforce the rules. The rules will not stick if we do it out of guilt. You can motivate. If you're an employee here, you can either motivate your employees or you can be motivated by your, uh, your boss, your supervisor, through guilt, through fear, through intimidation. But it only lasts a little bit. It only lasts a little bit. There's only so much that you can take, and you can only take it until it's absolutely unnecessary for you to, to be there in that position. And, and then all, what, what takes place is even worse because resentment starts to build up and you begin to, to dislike the people that you work for or the people that work for you because you're using guilt as a way of getting to them. Guilt is not the approach that we, that is really the, the, the avenue that we need to take. There are some coaches, you, you know them, that will, through uh, humiliation, will point out everything and will bash on, a, on an athlete and will tell them something negative every single time, even doing it in front of public, uh, in, in a public setting, they're, they're, that does not last very long. People begin to hate the game, and people begin to hate who is telling them something. It doesn't do any good. If you want to rip the heart out of a teammate, there is no way better to do it than to let them know that they're good for nothing, that they, they cannot do them, they cannot do anything, and let them know that you do not believe in them. But if you let your employee know that you appreciate them, if you let them know how much you care about them, if you let your child know that they have your approval, even if they fell, that if you make a mistake, I'm still going to be your dad. I'm still going to be your mom. If you let them know through love and you can see the difference that grace makes because guilt and fear are poor, poor motivators, but when I see grace, it just compels me and it changes me. Even when you have conversations with your spouse, you know the difference of having a heated argument and playing the blame game, or, or when you speak in love and you speak in grace and, you, and you're trying to, uh, to, to uh, convey your point and to communicate your message. Love motivates us inwardly from the heart to do our best. As the Apostle Paul said, the letter of the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. Paul said, Christ's love compels us. It calls us. It draws us in. It causes us to change. Galatians 5.13 reminds us that, for you were called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Serve one another. We all aspire to serve. We want to do our very best because we are motivated by grace and motivated by love. People whose lives have been touched by grace understand that the Christian life is not a matter of following simply a moral code, nor is it a matter of believing a prescribed set of doctrines. No, the Christian life is a relationship with the Creator. The Christian life is a relationship with Jesus. It is a relationship that is marked by love and 
and it's marked by trust. We discover that we are accepted, we are respected, and God has his heart towards us. And when we understand his love, his unfailing love, his love that sees the, the, the good, the bad, and the ugly, when we understand the love of the Father that surpasses all understanding, it changes my heart and say, God, why am I living like this? Why do I keep turning my back towards you when you love me like this? Why wouldn't I want to show your love when you love me like this? How could I make these poor choices when you love me like this? It's not about somebody looking over your shoulder. It's not about somebody telling you. It's about God's love making a change in my life that I say, God, man, I want to be different because you love me. And I don't want to take advantage of your grace. I don't want to take advantage of your love. Paul put it this way, should we remain in sin so that grace could abound? Absolutely not, he said. We shouldn't keep sinning. We shouldn't keep making poor choices because we know he's a good and gracious God. We, we should have our, our heart should change. And we should say, God, change, change my thoughts and change my actions, change my habits, change my words, change what's inside of me. That, that, that my life would be a reflection of your love. That what I do here on this earth, it shows the love that you have bestowed on us. Relationship. It's crazy that some people think that he's a gotcha God. Just looking for you to mess up and just looking for you to do something wrong. No, he is a God that loves us. It's, he's not a God who tells us you'll never measure up. Even when we do something good, we are made to feel that we could have done it better. But people who live this way... with this kind of mindset. In, in our minds, we come to church. We serve him, but they do it with cringing and, a, and with the harbor of resentment because they really never capture the true picture of God's love. And the, the fact of the matter is that rebellion is never far away, but we serve a God who loved us while we were still sinners. And we were unlovable, but he loved us. He loved us anyway. Worship team, would you come? This grace, it changes us. This grace, it changes us, and it changes you, it changes us. It could change you today. His grace can change your heart. It could change your life today. If you thought about every thought and every decision and every action that we have done. We would find that even the best of them would be filled with some selfish purposes, some wrong motivations, because the truth is that we can never get to a place that even every action, every movement, everything that we do reaches a place that we can deserve his love. We never get to that place. We can never talk too much about his grace 
We can never talk too much about his grace. I love the song that states there's a war between guilt and grace. And they're fighting for sacred space. But I'm living proof. Aren't you living proof that grace wins every time? No more lying down in death's defeat. Now I'm rising up in victory. Singing hallelujah because grace wins every time. For the prodigal son, grace wins. For the woman at the well in John chapter 4, grace wins. For the blind man and the beggar, grace wins. For always and forever, grace wins. For the lost out on the street, grace wins. For the worst part of you and me, grace wins. For the thief on the cross, grace wins. For your son who doesn't want to come to church right now, grace wins. For your marriage that seems to be on the rocks, grace wins. For your spiritual life that is dwindling right now, grace wins. For you that have strived for perfection and realized that you could never attain it, grace wins. For your heart, for your hurt, for your broken heart, for your wounded spirit, for your troubled mind, grace wins. Grace wins every time. And I am grateful that all I have to do is believe and say, God, I I need you. I need you. Grace wins. Grace wins. The final thing as I close, grace must be received. Grace must be received because I could hand to you. Aaron, here's this phone. I could be offering this gift right here, but if he never gets up out of his seat and takes it from my hand, he will never be able to grab a hold of it. He has to do the work to say, here it is, but I'm going to do my job to get closer. The Bible says that if we draw close to him, he will draw close to us. I have to take a step towards you, God. I'm trusting and believing. Yeah, my life is not perfect. I don't have it all together, but I'm going to take a step towards you, and I'm going to trust that you're going to take a step towards me and guess what the very next day I'm gonna wake up and I'm gonna take another step towards you I'm gonna pray more I'm gonna worship more I'm gonna I'm gonna lift you up and I'm gonna believe that you're gonna take a step that's what reconciliation is about when he's coming to us are we coming to him it has to be received would you stand with me this morning it has to be received If you never receive it, it's never yours. If you never say, God, I, I take a hold of it. I, God, I embrace it. And this is the difficult part because if you cannot admit that you need grace, you can never receive it. If you can't admit that you need grace, you can never receive it. If you never admit that you are guilty, you can never receive forgiveness. You will not understand the need of it. You'll you'll always have the mindset of saying, "I, I don't need this. I'm okay. We cannot earn 
our salvation, but we have to accept it and say, God, I accept it. I embrace it. Becoming a Christian means that we have to live life facing the truth about ourselves. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. That's why I need his grace. I've failed, I've failed, and I've failed. And maybe you have too, and that's why we need his grace. God, I was guilty. I was guilty of sin. But you came and you took my place. I need your grace. In order to experience the reality of his wonderful grace, which changes us, which leads us into his presence, and that a place that we are showered by his love and his forgiveness, you have to take that step. You have to take that step. Have you taken that step today? Have you faced the truth about yourself? Have you looked at yourself and said, I need you. I need you, God. I want to invite you to close your eyes right where you're at. Maybe in this place, in this moment right here this morning, you've never taken that step and said, God, I need your grace. Maybe you haven't given your life to Jesus, given your heart to Jesus and say, God, I receive, I receive what you have paid the price for. I embrace it. I take a hold of it. I grab a hold of it. I believe it's something crazy. It's something that is hard for me to understand, but I will trust that you have paid the price and I just have to live my life to please you. I don't have to be perfect, but I have to know that you're perfect. If you'd like to make that first time decision this morning, to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I invite you with every head bowed and every eye closed, I invite you to raise your hand right where you're at. I want to invite you to raise your hand right where you're at. I see you. I see you. I want to invite everyone to pray with me. We believe in community. We believe that we are stronger and we are better together. We pray together and we're going to do life together and we're going to believe for God's very best. So please repeat after me. Lord, I admit I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I believe you are Jesus, the Son of God, who died for the sins of the world. And I confess you as Lord, Savior, and King of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. It's, it's that easy. This morning, this is what we're going to do. If there is an area of your life, there's, a, there's an area in your life, whether it be in your spirit, whether it be something that you're dealing with at home, whether it be something you're dealing with at work, that you say, God, I need your grace for this area. I need your grace for my anxiety. 
I need your grace for my stress. I need your grace for my worry. I'm going to open this altar up, and I'm going to invite you to come if you feel comfortable. And we're going to believe that God's grace is going to, going to find you wherever you're at, whether you've lost your way or whether your relationships need help, whether your mind needs healing and your heart needs to be mended. Whatever it is, know that God's grace is sufficient. God's grace is sufficient for every circumstance, for every need. The Bible tells us that Paul had a thorn in his flesh. And the Bible says that he prayed three times for God to intervene on his behalf. And the third time God came back and said, my grace is sufficient for you. His grace is enough for you. His grace is enough for you. His grace is enough for you that are struggling. His grace is enough for you that's hurting. His grace is enough for you to restore you, to pick you up, to give you a new hope, to, to give you perspective, and to give you your joy back, to give you that spring in your step that you lost somewhere along the way. And you, and you go through life, and you go through the actions, but you're truly not okay on the inside. His grace can take care of that. His grace can take care of that. So I'm going to invite you right where you're at. We're going to go into a moment of worship. If you come to this altar, we'd love to pray with you. But we also know that God is omnipresent and he is everywhere and that he can reach you right where you're at. He can reach you right where you're at. If you're watching online, he can reach you right at your home right now. He can reach you. His grace can find you, deliver you, restore you, heal you. What do you need from him today that he says, my grace, my grace can do it for you right now. Father, in the name of Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray and we come to you, God, and we recognize that you are the way. We recognize that you are the truth. We recognize that you are the life. God, and wherever we find ourselves in this moment hurting, discouraged, whether we find ourselves without any hope, whether we find ourselves sick in our bodies or in our spirits, God, right now, we declare your freedom in this house. We declare the chains of shame and chains of guilt, chains of unforgiveness, chains of hurt, chains of past mistakes and chains of anxiety and chains of stress right now will come down in the name of Jesus. Right now, God, we declare your presence in this place to meet every need. Lord, you know the details better than anyone. God, and we ask right now that you intervene, that you do what only you can do, the way that you can do it. God, right now, we put our circumstances, we put our challenges, we put our situations in your hand and we ask for your grace. We ask for your grace to come and liberate us right now. Right now in the name of Jesus, his presence is here to heal. His presence is here to restore. Right now, whatever you need is in this place because his presence is here. And wherever he is, there is liberty. Right now, we declare it in Jesus' name. We declare it in Jesus' name. We declare it in Jesus' name. 
Before you go, I want to take a moment to thank you for watching this week's message. We hope it was a blessing to you and we pray that you take what the Lord spoke to you through the message today and apply it in your life. Something else you can do if the message was a blessing to you is to share the link with someone or on your social media account. This message might have just the word that someone in your life or online friend needs to hear. If you decided to give your life to Jesus or rededicate your life to Him today, we would love to hear from you. Please fill out our digital connect card and we'll send you an email with some information and some next steps you can take as a believer in Jesus. Well, once again, thank you for watching today. Don't forget to hit the like button and subscribe to our channel before you click out today. God bless you and have a great rest of your day.